Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Hey. Amen. So this evening, uh, I want to introduce you to uh, a young man in the Bible. You can find him in Matthew chapter 19 if you have your Bibles. If not, it's right there in the bulletin. And what I like about this young man is that he is a young man that uh, feels confident to question. Uh, if you're somebody that is questioning, uh, this young man can certainly relate to you. And my prayer for you is that, that as you see him questioning, that you would feel a confidence to question as well, and trust that the Lord would meet you in that, and that even that he could transform you in that. So Matthew chapter 19, and start at verse 16, to verse 23. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, him meaning Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Good question. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? <laughs> There's comedy in that question. He said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. <clears throat> when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. The words of our God. A few years ago, I came across this, this article um, 
uh, this interview of, uh, of a church up in Boston. Uh, the interviewer was, was asking uh, the pastor how they conduct their service and was very intrigued. And so he explained to the interviewer that they, they, they come together on Sunday, they, uh, they, they share some, some snacks and have some small talk, and they come together and they sit in an auditorium. Uh, they, they sing songs to uplift one another. They talk about announcements of things going on in the week. And uh, the pastor comes and he, he shares what's going on in his life and tries to encourage the people. And then they end. And after they meet, they go out into the corridor and they share a meal together and uh, might uh, give some money to make sure that they can keep the lights on and whatnot. And then they go home and they come together again next Sunday. And they do that Sunday after Sunday. And you might say, well, what's so special about that? Why is that something to interview about? Well, what's interesting about this church is that this church is an atheist church. It was an atheist church. And the, the title of the, the interview was A Church with, Without God. And, and this church, they, they call themselves a humanist community. And the humanist chaplain, they come together, they sing songs, uplift one another, share announcements about things going on, have community, have laughs, check on each other, give some money to keep the lights on, come together, have a meal, and that's it. And there's no God in it at all. And the interviewer was asking about what and how they do this, and, and the humanist chaplain says, you know, we, we, don't, we don't mind church. We, we just want to make sure to keep what's good about it and get rid of what's bad. That meaning God. And when I was reading this article, I, my, my instinct, my reaction was to be offended, right? Uh, but as I read it and as I thought about it, I could kind of relate to them. I believe in God, certainly want to serve him, but I, I, I sometimes live as a functional atheist. Like I just go through the motions, go to church, go to meetings, go to assemblies, read the Bible, kind of have this and that, read books, and God isn't in it at all. I'm just doing it because it's the ritual. It's the routine. And I lost sight of God. I live as a functional atheist sometimes. Right. What I like about this story with the young man is that this young man, this rich young ruler, he's kind of dealing in the same way. That, that he, he's a religious young man and he's coming to Jesus and he's a functional atheist. But as we approach the story, we see that he's not aware of it yet. As the story begins, he comes to Jesus. The parallel story in the Gospel of Mark says he, he falls at Jesus' feet. So it's an emotional interaction. It's an emotional conversation. There's passion in his voice. And he says, teacher, what good deed? must I do to have eternal life? That's a good question, right? That's, that's a million dollar question. It's 
a question of significance, it's a question of meaning, it's a question of purpose, it's a question of wanting a life that matters. And he brings that question to Jesus. That's right. But already he's starting off on the wrong foot. Jesus and his loving, engaging, conf confrontational way, he starts guiding this young man to what the real issue is. He starts off by saying, why do you ask me about what is good? <coughs> seems like a, a, a real tangent, random way to respond to his question. He says, there's only one who is good. He's, he's, he's leading into something. Because the young man says, teacher, and that's a really loaded statement, right? Is Jesus a teacher? Absolutely. I like him as a professor. <laughs> but is that all Jesus is? Depends on who you ask, right? Maybe for some professors here, maybe for some other students here, Jesus is merely a good teacher and he's a good example to follow. Now, he was a times man of the year. He's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. But Jesus is more than a teacher. And he, he, he tells this young man, there is only one who is good. Going philosophical with him. If you want to understand goodness, do you understand that the source of goodness is God? And do you understand that God is actually in front of you? What he was trying to get him to do is, there's only one who is good, and the young man's supposed to say, yep, that's right, and that's you. Yes, there's only one that's good. Yes, there's only one that determines goodness. I'm not being self-referential that God is the one that I reference when defining everything, but he didn't do that. Jesus continues with him. He says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. That's all you got to do. Over 600 commands in the Old Testament, just keep them and you got your life. And of course, the young man says back to him, which ones? Because <laughs> surely you don't want me to do all of them. Like, because you know that'll stress me out. I know you're not trying to get me to do the Sabbath one. Okay, so let's negotiate. Which one do you really want me to do? Let's, let's, let's make a list, prioritize this. Which ones, Jesus? When God gives his standard, we want to make it manageable for us. Because our appropriate response should be, I can't do this, Lord, help me. That's what our response should be when we come in contact with the holiness and commands of God. But this young man, he says, obviously that's too much, so let's just whittle it down so that it's something that I can do well. Something that I can manage well. Because certainly a good God wouldn't want me to do all of that and inconvenience me. Jesus goes with it. He starts listing off some commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And go on and on. Does that sound familiar to anybody? What's he listing? The Ten Commandments. So he's listing the Ten Commandments. But he doesn't list all of the Ten Commandments, 
threat? Because the Ten Commandments, they're actually divided, starting with the first four commandments that are how we relate to God. And the second half, the latter six, are how we relate to each other. And Jesus leaves off the how we relate to God, strategically. It says, okay, let's look at how you relate to each other. So he talks about don't kill, don't steal, don't do these things. And then for good measure, he ends off by saying, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that right there should have been intimidating. <laughs> because in Matthew 22, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets are summed up with these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just do these two things and you'll be good. That's all you got to do. Because it encapsulates the essence of the commands. We should feel woefully deficient. But how, how does the young man respond in verse 20? And verse 20 says, yep, got it. Check. All these I have kept. How in the world can he believe that? Because if he is basing his righteousness on people around him, he has a standard that he can compare himself to well. If the only righteousness I have is self-righteousness, I can feel good about it. Because I can be better, more righteous than you and you. I can be more righteous than you. Chris, I can be more righteous than you. Just give me a good day. <laughs> the only righteousness you have left is comparative self-righteousness. And yeah, you can feel good about that. So the young man said, all these I have kept. I will love my neighbor as myself. Self-delusional. <laughs> but he asks... Very important question after that. He asks, do you see it in verse 20? What do I still lack? <coughs> and when I used to read this story, I used to, to hear it as kind of like a, you know, golly gee, very excited. So, okay, I did this, I did this, what's next? You know, when I really wanted to perform and do the next thing. But the more I consider this passage, the more I consider my own spiritual life, the question really feels like more of a question of desperation rather than enthusiasm. All these I have kept, what do I still lack? I'm doing the religious thing. I'm, I'm doing the rituals. I'm doing the commands. I'm doing it all. What am I still missing? It's not good enough. What do I still lack? Have you ever related to that? Yes, I'm coming to RUF, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to the conference, I went to Chattanooga, but it still feels so hollow. What do I still lack? It's still not clicking for me. What do I still lack? I'm doing the right things, right? Desperation. He's doing all the rituals, going through the motions, but God is not in it. And what I appreciate about this question, though, is that the big difference 
between the young man and some of you all is that at least he understands that he has a lack. That there's some awareness that performance does not make you acceptable to God. He's right at the reaching the end of himself that there is no ritual, no performance, no command, no this, no that, no thing you can do to experience the reality of a relationship with God. He's feeling that. He understands that. But I wonder if some of you haven't reached that end yet. That you're still thinking that you can perform your way into acceptance with God. He says, what do I still lack? I'm doing it. It's just not there. Jesus, he responds to him. In the parallel in Mark, he says, he's lovingly engaging with him right here. He says, Jesus loving him. He tells him, if you would be perfect, now talk about an attention-grabbing starter. If, if you want to be perfect, here's what you do. Go, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's it. That's all you gotta do. Just get rid of your stuff, give it away, and come on, let's do this. You want me? I'm here. Come on, let's go. I'm glad you're asking me. I'm glad you're at my feet. Come on, let's do it. He gave him his answer. And if he was really wanting Jesus, what would his response be? Yes! I'm going to get rid of it right now! Throw it all away, right? But how does he respond? With sorrow. He came questioning. Jesus answered him. And his response was sorrow. Why? Jesus is really bringing it to head here. He's really revealing the point of the conversation. And it's really significant that Jesus would say, give up all your stuff and you will have treasure in heaven. Because if you, you, if you read it, you hear the echoes of Matthew chapter six where he says, store up your treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, you want to know how to have eternal life? You want to understand perfection? Give me your heart. Give me your heart. That's all you got to do. And the young man responds in sorrow. Why? Because he's okay with following Jesus as long as he doesn't mess with his God. He's okay with following Jesus as long as Jesus does not mess with his God. If Jesus has to be number one, I can't go with you. I'm fine with going with you, but don't mess with my achievements. I want to go with you, but don't mess with my money. I want to go with you, but don't mess with my relationships. Don't mess with my achievements. Don't mess with my identity. Don't mess with my behaviors. Don't mess with my major. Don't mess with my anything. Don't mess with it. 
and we'll get along just great. And Jesus says, either I'm Lord of all or not Lord at all. Give me your heart. The young man, he responds in sorrow and he walks away. He walks away from Jesus. And as I read it, I, I get emotional about it because I'm like, come back. Don't leave. Don't leave. Come back. He's right here. All you need is right here. Don't leave. Don't you know, as St. Augustine said, that our hearts remain restless until we find our rest in God. Don't you know, as John Piper says, that God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him. Don't leave. Come back, young man. And then I realize that oftentimes I'm running away with him. Yeah. I find myself right next to him, walking away from Jesus. Right. Prone to wander. God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He doesn't want my performance. He wants my heart. And Jesus goes after his God. He said, like, okay, you get with the second commandment. Let's go after the first one. And love me with all your You're good with the latter half of the Ten Commandments. Let's focus on the first one that says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And here's the point. Because it's not about he just want everybody to find him to be impoverished and be poor. Some of y'all be like, oh, I'm a good candidate then. I'm real poor. And that's not the point. That's not the point of the story. Point of the story is what in your life do you need in order to follow God? If it's anything more than God, you're out of alignment. If it's anything other than God's out of alignment, and you will not understand that Jesus is all you need until you come to the realization that Jesus is all you have. You cannot understand that Jesus is all you need until you realize that Jesus is all you have. Now, of course, you can listen. You know, I got, I got Jesus. I got him in school. I got, you know, you can list all these things. But it's here at the top. It's here at the center. So that if anything else is gone, your relationship. If anything else is gone, your grades. If anything else is gone, your financial stability, that you have a settled foundation because you have God. Because if you're easily shaken, if you're a little flighty in your relationship with God, it might be because he's not the only one going, going around in that heart of yours. So Jesus says... It kind of continues on this point, but I just want to get on that one verse. How difficult it is, all the difficulty, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven? Why? 
Because if you're in a place where Jesus is an option rather than the answer, then you don't really understand that he's king. If he's part of kind of a buffet of options, whether it's other gods or other possibilities or other ways to find fulfillment, other ways to find significance, other ways to find things that matter, that give you a sense of who you are, you'll misunderstand that he wants to be king. And kings don't share. They want to be co-king. He says, it's hard because there's all these different things that give you these promises of fulfillment, and they just can't give it to you. And this young man missed a golden opportunity because he had a moment of realization that these things are lesser and not enough. And I struggle. I struggle to, to understand that. And I'm always quick to be distracted. I remember, uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, I remember I was serving at a church there. It was a, uh, a poorer church, uh, but families were getting by. And I remember, it was about January, February time, and in the Midwest, in St. Louis, in the wintertime, it can be just intense, I mean, just blistering. I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all been hearing the news, right? It's, it's just it was normal, like the, just the snow. And I remember when I was a kid, if I saw snow or there was a forecast of snow, I'd be going, the only time I'd watch the news was to see if there was a closure. They're going to close my school down, so I didn't know anything else about newscasts, news stories, but I knew how to read that bottom of the screen to figure out, is my school closed? And if it was closed, that was a happy day. I'd go back to sleep, or I'd you know, have a big old bowl of cereal, something I'd be excited. And I remember on one particular Sunday, there was a forecast of snow. It was going to be a really big one, and sometimes when it's a really big snow, they, they go ahead and close the schools down before it even hits. And I remember going to church... Uh, and kind of trying to find the youth of that church, and uh, I kind of rejoiced with them because I remember my, my, my kid days. And I remember finding this group of kids, and <clears throat> they were praying. They were looking very serious, and they were praying. <laughs> I said, "What are y'all doing? <laughs> There's a storm coming. Y'all probably not going to have no school. We should be we should be dancing together. What's going on?" And they looked at me with a very serious face. And they said, when there's no school, we don't get lunch that day. We can't afford to have lunch if we don't have school. We, we count on the meal that the school provides. And so they were praying that the school didn't close, or if it did, that God would provide for them. And I remember being so convicted and inspired because I have never prayed, Lord, please provide my next meal. I've just assumed that it's going to be there. I just know it's going to be there. And I don't have options and dessert. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I constantly forget that the Lord is the one that has given me this provision. Regardless if I have a job or the education or this, that, or the other, or family that provides, God is the one that ultimately provides. I forget that as often as I remember it. Functional atheism. Where are you with God? 
Are you content trying to go through the rituals and the motions, doing this, that, and the other, trying to create a relationship with God out of it? You are looking forward to a life of sorrow if that is your strategy. God is not asking you to perform. God is asking you to surrender. But what will you do? Lord Jesus, we confess that we do not live according to your glory. Lord, you provide, you bless, and we constantly lower your standards. We constantly blaspheme your divinity. We make light of who you are. Yet you still pursue us. Lord, would you help us to see? Lord, we don't know what happened to the rich young man. And Lord, I just believe that you left that story unresolved because you want us to reflect on that. Are we still running from you? Are we still walking away from you, feasting on our own God? Or have we turned to you, understanding that at your feet is where we find all that we need? God, help us to see. Help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say, hey.